For the Jewish people, a major crisis was at hand. A perilous one, existential even, threatening to tear the Jewish community apart into different sects, pursuing an entirely different, even antagonistic way of life. If it wasn't resolved, it was doubtful that Judaism itself could survive. The year was 922 of the Common Era, and there was a grave argument over whether Passover that year should start on Sunday or Tuesday. A leading rabbi in Palestine, named Ben Meir, decreed that Passover should begin on Tuesday that year. But another sage, named Sadia, was having none of it. He launched a blistering defense of that Sunday in the year 922. For him, at stake was nothing less than the continued unity of the Jewish people. Here's the problem and why it was such a big deal. Jews everywhere, back then and now, observed a single Jewish calendar. The calendar was based on the lunar cycle. It was also determined by a complex set of rules and regulations that had been codified by the Babylonian Jewish community in what is today modern-day Iraq. All Jews everywhere agreed to this system, which is why, back then and now, you can be anywhere in the world and still celebrate Shabbat and the holidays at the same exact time as every other Jew in the world. But this rabbi... Ben Meir, who was a key religious authority in Palestine in the year 922, he sensed an opportunity to seize power and prestige from the Babylonian Jewish authorities and bring it back to, well, himself. That year, he used his power to make a few minor changes to the rules governing the interpretation of the lunar cycle, altering the tradition by which Jews calculated the phases of the moon. Ben Meir's changes moved that timing by 35 minutes. Only slightly longer than a Jew I don't know episode. What's the big deal? Well, because of, um, okay, math. That year, 922, it meant that Passover would begin not at sundown on Sunday, as was expected, but instead on sundown on Tuesday. The Babylonian Jewish authorities refused to recognize this highly unorthodox change. So now you had a power struggle. And the prospect of the Jews in Babylon observing one calendar and the Jews of Palestine observing another, never again would the two calendars align. Going forward, Jewish ritual obligations would be based not on the established logic of the universal lunar calendar, but instead on mass confusion. When you celebrated the holidays would be determined by the whims of whomever was in charge of whatever place you happened to find yourself in. It was a recipe for extraordinary disunity. So our guy, Sadia, jumped in. In the blitz of PR, he first wrote a letter to Ben Meir outlining all the ways he was wrong with his calculations. When Ben Meir refused to give in, Sadia turned to the medieval equivalent of social media. He wrote letters to every Jewish community, carefully walking them through the correctness of his own interpretation and demolishing Ben Meir's arguments. By the end of it, Ben Meir's stature was crushed the Babylonian Jewish community's authority prevailed, and the Jewish calendar was permanently fixed. The next time you find yourself hunting for that start date of Hanukkah or what night to host your Passover Seder, you can thank Sadia for straightening it all out for you. Coming out of Baghdad in the 900s, Sadia Gaon is considered the first medieval Jewish philosopher and the spiritual godfather of Judeo-Arabic culture. 
He's the first to translate the Torah into Arabic, the first to write a Hebrew dictionary, and the first to write a comprehensive theology of Judaism with a rational argument for the existence of God. He's one of the great philosophers of Jewish history, so we ought to know about him. Luckily, this is Jew Ought to Know. I'm your host, Jason Harris, and welcome back. I would say to young people that we can do everyone our share to redeem the world. Sadia was born in 892, in the Egyptian city of Fayum, south of Cairo. He lived his whole life within the Islamic empire, at a time of Islam's great cultural ascendancy in the world. Algebra was being invented, and prosperous Islamic cities sat along the major east-west trading routes, controlling great swaths of trade and commerce. Judaism, though, was struggling a bit, as people took to exploring these new cultures and ideas, questioning what had seemingly been established Jewish principles for centuries. Sadia was about to make a name for himself as the foremost defender of Judaism. At the age of 23, Sadia left Egypt to study in Tiberias, Israel, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. At the same time, about the year 915, he threw himself against a sectarian split in Judaism between the mainstream community and a group known as the Karaites. The Karaites have a long and fascinating history, it's too much to get into now, but the main point for our purposes is that the Karaites were Jews who rejected rabbinic Judaism. They looked to the Torah alone as the sole authority in Judaism, and here's why that was a big deal. Remember that rabbinic Judaism began in the centuries following the destruction of the Second Temple in Jerusalem in the year 70. The Jews lost the vital center of their religious culture and had to remake Jewish practice from the ground up. To do so, the rabbis identified a chain of transmission of Jewish law that they called the Oral Law. The idea was that at Mount Sinai, God gave Moses two things the written law in the form of the Torah, and then an additional set of laws and instructions not written down, but transmitted orally. Moses, in turn, passed down the oral tradition until, many centuries later, it arrived at the rabbis, who used it to interpret the Torah. Their interpretations of both the written and oral law were combined into what became known as the Talmud, the massive compendium of Jewish commentary on every conceivable law, commandment, ritual, tradition, and lifestyle choice. The Talmud became the central authority, the rabbis, its officiants, and thus we have rabbinic Judaism, which remains with us today. Now, the Karaites rejected all this. They denied that there was an oral law. They said that the commandments handed down to Moses by God and written into the Hebrew Bible were the complete set. There were no additions or subtractions. Since they only recognized the original written Torah as authoritative, they felt free to ignore any rulings from the rabbis, including the entirety of the Talmud. This, of course, represented a threat to the authority and legitimacy of rabbinic Judaism. The Karaites were becoming more influential, and there was a real worry about them peeling off masses of Jews to their side. This was a time of religious vibrancy and fluidity. Sects were forming within Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. Cultured elites had a menu to choose from, and many were tempted to the Karaites, even though mainstream Jews cons considered the Karaites to be not really Jews. 
Sadia rose to the staunch defense of rabbinic Judaism. He wrote a number of polemical attacks on the Karaites, apparently utterly skewering their belief system and demolishing their biblical interpretation skills. None of his original works survived here, but references to them have been found in other medieval works. Sadia articulated what has become the classic argument for the need for Talmudic interpretation of the Torah, and that is that the Hebrew Bible is often unclear what you're supposed to do. For instance, quick basic example, the Torah prohibits working on Shabbat. Very nice. But it doesn't define exactly what work is. So if you just take the literal meaning of the Torah and stop there, as the Karaites do, well, then you pretty quickly get stuck on figuring out what to do and what not to do. The rabbis were needed to figure out what work means in the context of Shabbat, and all of this was written up in the Talmud. And, said Sadia, it's not like they were making this up out of thin air. They were getting it from the oral law, the chain of transmission that went back to God and Moses at Mount Sinai. What could be more legitimate than that? By the time he took the intellectual wrecking ball to the Karaites, he was also embroiled in a calendar debate with the Palestinian rabbi Ben Meir, whom he also left in the dust. Sadia had single-handedly averted a major Jewish schism. By now, he was recognized as one of the greatest Jewish scholars around. So it was time to set his sights even higher on the leadership of the Babylonian Jewish community. For hundreds of years, Babylonia, in what is today Iraq, was the great center of Jewish culture, learning, and rabbinic authority. Its reign began during the 200s CE, when a Jewish scholar named Abba Aricha, known as the Rav, set up an academy in the city of Sura to promote the study of Torah amongst the Jewish community there. Teachers and students were attracted from all over to what quickly became the Ivy League for Jewish thought and leadership, and a few other schools sprang up in nearby cities. Scholars spent the next few hundred years developing the Babylonian version of the Talmud, which remains the dominant version today. The heads of these academies were called the Geonim, or in the singular, the Gaon, which means genius. The genius, the Gaon, was an intensely influential and respected figure and held enormous sway over Jewish life and culture across the Middle East, which was coming much more out of Babylonia than out of Palestine. The Gaon was the head of the academy, a modern-day university chancellor, but in that role he was also the spiritual leader of the Babylonian Jewish community. People would write to the Gaon from all corners of the Jewish world, seeking his advice and opinion on all matters of religious questions. His rulings and scholarship on Jewish law were often binding, and it was to him that the Jewish world looked to for leadership. Sadia arrived in Babylonia in the year 928 CE, and he was appointed head of the academy at Sura, the single most important scholar supposition in the Jewish world. His appointment wasn't without controversy, as he was the first foreigner promoted to such an illustrious position, but under him the academy's light burned even more brightly than it had before, and Sadia himself began turning out works that would have immense importance to Jews everywhere. In 933, he published what was probably his most important work, the Book of Beliefs and Opinions. The book's goal was twofold, to again defend rabbinic Judaism within the Jewish world, 
and two, to defend Judaism generally amongst the other religions all competing for attention and authority in the Middle East, like Christianity and Islam. Sadia Gaon was concerned that this swirl of religious ideas was confusing his fellow Jews. He wrote, It pains my heart to see many Jews engulfed in oceans of doubt and struggling in the raging waters of error, and there was no diver to help them out of their depths, nor a swimmer to lend them a hand. And as the Almighty had taught me the way to help them, I consider it my duty to extend a helping hand to them. This doubt, said the Gaon, is manifested in the person of Reuben. Who was Reuben? I have no idea. But here's where he comes in. Sadia said that the doubt occurs because you either don't know what you're looking for, or you're not trying hard enough. Take, he said, Reuben. If you can't find Reuben, it might be because you don't know who Reuben is. Reuben could be standing right in front of you, but you don't recognize him. Or you can't find Reuben because you're not searching for him seriously. You're searching with what he called a laxity of heart. In both cases, let me tell you, the great Gaon predicted the two major elements of online dating. The Book of Beliefs and Opinions laid out a systematic review of Jewish theology, intending to use reason and logic to provide proof of God's existence and other Jewish principles. As with Philo of Alexandria, we once again confront the seeming dilemma between philosophy and revelation. And once again, we encounter a Jewish thinker who insists that there is no conflict. Rabbi Louis Jacobs, a 20th century leader of the Jewish community in the United Kingdom, he wrote that Sadia takes issues with those who see philosophy as harmful to faith. On the contrary, faith is strengthened when supported by reason. To help make his case, Sadia Gaon borrowed techniques from Islamic philosophy, which of course was the dominant political and cultural power in the Middle East at this time. Muslims, too, in the 10th century were wrestling with how to apply rationality to their own religious traditions. They developed an intellectual discipline known as Kalam. It was a method of interpreting Islamic scripture to defend it from doubters and resolve contradictions in certain areas of theology. This is what Sadia was going for, too. Rabbi Jacobs wrote, Sadia holds that there are two ways to religious truth, reason and revelation. Both ways are essential. Reason, because without it, superstitious ideas will proliferate, and revelation, because not everyone can arrive at the truth by speculation. Sadia wrote that, on the one hand, we must accept the teachings because they have been authentically passed on to us by reliable tradition, by which he meant the written and oral Torah. But also, he wrote, God commanded us to take our time with our rational inquiries till we should arrive by argument at the truth of religion, and not to abandon our quest till we have found convincing arguments in favor of it and are compelled to believe God's revelation by what our eyes have seen and our ears have heard. In other words, keep inquiring until all of your senses have demonstrated the truth to you. This, he said, may very well take a long time, but not to worry, just keep going. From this idea of rational inquiry, Sadia was able to parse out the notion of different kinds of commandments within halakha, Jewish law. There are the ethical commandments. 
We don't need God's revelation to decide to observe them, he said, because reason alone tells us that we should. We can go back to Hillel the Elder's golden rule here, that which is hateful to you, do not do unto others. We don't need revelation to tell us that murder and stealing and lying is wrong. Indeed, we could quite easily arrive at those conclusions even if we didn't have the Torah. On the flip side are the ceremonial commandments, which do require divine revelation because reason alone won't get us there. Like the dietary laws, for instance, and laws around how to observe various holidays. Rational inquiry alone would not lead you to the idea of banning pork or observing Sukkot because, morally speaking, those are logically neutral ideas. So these rules require some instruction from God so that we know to follow them. Now, Saudi Gaon recognized a contradiction here. If we can discover the teachings of our religion through rational inquiry and speculation, then why did God bother to transmit them to us through prophecy and miracles? That is, why did we need the revelation at Mount Sinai to tell us, you shall not murder, if we anyway could figure that out for ourselves? Sadia had two answers to this, both of which, I have to say, are kind of nice. According to Sarah Pessin, a philosopher at the University of Denver, one reason is simply to create a shortcut. Although God realized that we could figure this stuff out on our own, God instead gave it to us anyway to save the time and effort. Two, as Sadia says, to not just leave us to our own devices. I know you know this, says God, but here it is, nicely packaged for you anyway. So, you know, thank you. The second reason, writes Sarah Pessin, is essentially for bonus points. She writes that Sadia explains that by including the laws of reason, God, in effect, allows his subjects to do what they would be doing anyway, but enables them to get the additional bonus of being rewarded for doing God's bidding. Which is also nice. Pessin writes that in both cases, Sadia is demonstrating both how human reason is helped by revelation and how revelation is helped by human reason. Ultimately, Sadia Gaon says that the Torah isn't our only source for law and teachings. The other is human intellect, and still another is tradition itself. These three vectors, Torah, human intellect, and tradition, they serve to help us arrive at the truth of religion. In this way, Sadia pulled together deep Jewish scholarship, Islamic discipline, and a heavy dose of Greek philosophy from Aristotle and Plato to profoundly influence rabbinic Judaism. Rabbi David Wolpe of Temple Sinai in Los Angeles writes that Sadia Gaon grappled with issues like the problem of evil, whether the world was created or eternal, the reasons why God ordained both rational and non-rational commandments, all of these concerns remain living questions in Judaism today. What Sadia Gaon gave us is the first comprehensive treatment of Jewish theology using reason and revelation to offer up proof of the fundamental principles of Judaism, such as the existence of God, the nature of creation, the purpose of the commandments. He both defended Judaism amidst the competing fates of Christianity and Islam, and he prevented schisms from developing within Judaism that would tear the religion apart. 
as Rabbi Louis Jacobs wrote, Sadia did not entertain any doubts about the complete truth of God's revelation of the Torah, although he also believed that philosophy has an important role to play in so interpreting the Torah so that its truths do not run counter to reason. So Sadia made accessible to Jews a systematic roadmap to the philosophical foundations of Judaism and the fundamental principles that underlay their religion. He profoundly impacted Jewish tradition going forward, and he wrote most of this in Arabic. That made all this learning accessible to Jews throughout the Arabic-speaking world, for whom Arabic was their daily tongue and would continue to be for the next thousand years. Sadia was the first to translate the Hebrew Bible into Arabic, the importance of which can't be overstated. Throughout history, having a translated Bible in your own language, whether Greek or German or English or anything else, it's an essential portal for your participation in Jewish religion and culture. He enabled Arabic-speaking Jews throughout the Middle East to access Judaism, and thus it was his writings and ideas that took root in Judeo-Arabic culture. Even for Mizrahi Jews today, Jews whose origins are in the Middle East and North Africa and who make up more than half the population of Israel, even for them today, Saudia remains far from an obscure figure. Saudia Gaon died in the year 942. About 200 years later, the great philosopher Maimonides acknowledged the debt owed to Saudia. Were it not for him, said Maimonides, the Torah would have almost disappeared from the Jewish people, for it was he who shed light on that which was obscure, strengthened that which had been weakened, and spread the Torah far and wide. Except for the time when the Pearl Jam concert coincided with Yom Kippur, would have been nice for the great genius to have made allowances for fudging the calendar a day or two in any direction. But in any case... Okay, so that was the Sadia Gaon, considered the founding father of Jewish philosophy. Although Philo of Alexandria had also considered many of these ideas about reason and revelation some 900 years earlier, remember that his writings had been taken up by the Christians and largely lost to the Jews. Sadia was essentially starting from a blank slate, pulling together scholarship from every corner of secular and religious learning in the 10th century. Quite an accomplishment. So from Babylonia, we're going to move over to Spain about 100 years later to a scholar known for his ardent defense of Judaism and beautiful poetry. As always, my website is jewonano.com and my email is jewonanopodcast at gmail.com. If you've been enjoying these episodes and looking forward to more, please consider a donation of any size to keep this going. Very, very extra special thanks to those who have donated. You can head to jewonano.com slash donate. Great to be back with you, everyone. Thanks for listening. Lahitraot. See you later. <music>